Hey there, cats and kittens, and welcome to Bang on the Strillers, the cabaret podcast with your host, Geraldine Quinn, rock cabaret singer, songwriter, and general ginger idiot. This episode is episode five, and it's part two of my conversation with my very old friend, Wes Snelling. In this episode, we talk a little bit about the creation of his fabulous cabaret comedy character, Tina Del Twist, and we also talk about meeting your heroes, being attacked by various animals, spooky dokes, and one very embarrassing television appearance that I made in 1987 that I'm really hoping doesn't exist anymore. So sit back and if you don't want to relax, you could try a drinking game of the amount of times that I say formative experience. Hey, it's fun. And also, I do swear in this one. It's hardly a fucking surprise. The heater's on now, so I'm hopefully not going to pick that up. But that shouldn't matter. Oh, do you want to turn the heater off? You can turn it off for a bit. Yeah, turn it off for a bit. Why are you so frightened about talking about the mouse? <laughs> because I don't want people to think I live in a dirty house. No, that's not... Everybody has mice. I'm trying to think of traumatic experiences that I've had with animals. I've had... That sounds like I'm going to go somewhere incredibly dark. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this really vivid memory of when I, was a, when I was a child in Wagga Wagga. My mother taught at my school. And so she would have to finish up stuff in the staff room before we were ready to go home. So because we were obviously going home with mum, we would just sort of hang around. And I had a few um, formative experiences in those little interim periods because when the school's empty of children, it's kind of an eerie place. It feels a bit strange and wrong. I went to the loo once uh, in the normal kind of kids' toilets, the only toilets that I knew, and a cleaner came by and locked me in. Oh, And I would have been, oh, seven years old. So that was... That was a bit scary. That might explain why sometimes I'm a bit jumpy in toilet cubicles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one, uh, one time we were waiting for mum to finish up and there was this kind of crawl space under one of the big buildings and I went under there and crawled right up to the corner and it's a building that was built on a hill. So it was a lot of room when I came in, a lot less room when I crawled up <laughs> to the corner. And I don't remember this very well. You might have some of those childhood memories that have kind of turned into weird nightmares. Yes. And I just remember I'd cornered an animal by crawling up to this smaller crawl space, getting underneath this school building. And this is why I don't know, maybe my parents should have been paying more attention to the supervision of my childhood. But the animal wasn't pleased about being cornered. What and was the animal? I don't remember. Because my childhood memories kind of warped it with the big, scary, bald rabbit from the Twilight Zone movie. Right. <laughs> screaming at me. And so I have other memories that have affected it of rabbits being kind of evil and screaming. Rabbits scream. Did you know that? I, I've got a vague memory of that sound because my dad used to take us ferreting. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I used to have to stick my hand down holes in the ground to, to get the ferret out. <laughs> Um, was it because they were tenacious and you had to – they grabbed onto something and you had to pull them out? Is that what you mean? Like the ferret's down there um, and you can't – If the ferret's been down there too long, then you've got to get it it's, – it's something's happening down there and you've got to get the – I'm trying to remember how. I think it was by the tail or by the end of the – by its bum, you pull it out. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was mortifying. Really? I grew up in a country and I had to do things that I just will never, ever do again. <laughs> ever. <laughs> Used well, to go boar hunting. Oh my gosh! Um, on, I'm now imagining you boar hunting. Oh, it was terrifying. I was afraid of cows. Like I couldn't. 
anything that moved around me, no, like uh, spiders, anything, anything that moves around me that I have no control over really freaks me out. And yeah, I grew up with two brothers who were quite masculine for want of a better term, I guess, or quite up for being outdoors. I wasn't really an outdoors person. (laughs) Like I'll lie on a boat like Goldie Horning overboard (laughs) being fed cheese and crackers but I will not. But I used to, yeah, I remember it's about the age 10 being on the back of a ute at night at like midnight with a big light, like going through paddocks and stuff. Yeah, pretty. This is like a wake in fright. Not very me. I had no idea that you had this background. Yeah, that's it. I have a very strong memory of one of my primary school friends being in their backyard and they had those picnic table benches. So it's the table and the attached benches, the wooden things that you see. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you've got the bench, like it's slats of wood. Yeah. And then you've got the, the actual table and you've got the slats of wood as the, as the bench. Yeah. Sort of shaped like this. I'm doing it with my hands, which is very useful for anyone listening. But they'd put a baby rabbit, or as we call it, a kitten, <laughs> Onto the, I was very fascinated by animals as a child and categories, and she'd put it on top of the of the table, and the baby rabbit didn't want to remain on the top of the table, and so I have this slow motion vision of the rabbit sort of scampering towards the edge of the table and taking a really impressive great American hero leap, and bouncing off the bench part, right, <laughs> and screaming, and just. That has also gone into the Twilight Zone bunny and the strange creature that I cornered underneath the school building in, in Wagga Wagga. So, no, I'm not, not a big fan of rabbits. <laughs> I used to – I remember the nightmare that I used to have when I was younger. Every uh, year we'd go to, to stay at my Auntie Doreen's in a place called Harden, which is out of just out of Canberra. Mm. Small, very small town. And we'd, we'd do the, the trek up in the car in the old Ford Falcon and um, – she had video players that just come out and she had two videos and one of them was the Terminator, uh, no, Robocop. Right. And the other one was a television series called Return to Eden. Oh, that rings a bell. Okay. A fabulous Australian mini series, right? But this is what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> Bear in mind, I am a young child. It's about uh, sisters. James Rain is in it as well. Okay. It's about two sisters um, and one's kind of a bit dowdy. They're both quite well off, but one's a bit dowdy and they're very competitive. So, and, and, and James Rain is the dowdy sister's husband. Right. So the sister is having an affair with James Rain as oh, well. Of course she is. So they decide to kill. Who wouldn't? The dowdy sister. Oh, what? So they're out on a boat in the lake and they push her, river I should say, they push her overboard and she gets... Eaten by crocodiles. (laughs) Right, you see this happen. I'm a child. I'm writing this down. But the best part of the story is, is that she, they then think she's dead. She lives. She gets found washed up on the, on the, on the sand, whatever it is. The bank. The bank. (laughs) She gets washed up and gets taken in by this hobo. (laughs) And it's hobo. Homo, although he may be, I don't know. We didn't go that far. Was into it the... Bill Hunter? It was. It was. A, it was very much a Bill Hunter. It wasn't <laughs> Bill Hunter, but it was a Bill Hunter style actor. Okay. And he brings her back to life, basically, like feeds her, nurtures her. Her face is mangled, so she goes and gets a facelift, <laughs> becomes a model for like Women's Day or whatever, 
and then goes back and takes out revenge on James Rain and her sister. Why isn't this a musical? It's so good. You've got to get it out. Return to Eden. It's available. It's totally oh, available. Oh, my God. And she, it's Rebecca Gilling is the actress who plays this role. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she goes back and plays revenge on her sister and her her. her her husband. Yeah. They don't recognise her. Oh, great. Because apparently her facelift is that amazing that she looks completely different. She looks the same <laughs> with some makeup on. Um, and so then, yeah, and it's it's a awesome. And it's set um, – and it's just actually great. I think – I want to say 80s. I feel like it's an 80s miniseries, but it's one of those just fabulous Australian miniseries and – um, I've heard the name, but I cannot. I can't Eden, believe I've never seen it. Because they owned a property in Eden, but it's it's. Uh, but that was I was I would go. I remember going to bed because this is in the day when your kids when there were no like like nets for trampolines, there were no like fences for pools, there were no. It didn't matter about if anything was. There were no ratings for things like. Mum would just say, "Oh, there's a video. Pop it on. Yeah. Like it could be porn. Like it wouldn't, <laughs> oh, I'm going to go and have a ciggy and a beer around the kitchen. You know, like it was. <laughs> there was no. And I like that, you know. But but there were no kind of. It was like, oh, that's a video. There's some colour and movement. You know, crocodiles <laughs> eating a woman. Um, so I remember lying in a bed at my auntie Doreen's and Uncle Bruce's and and being scared that there were crocodiles at the base of the bed eating me. Oh, I had that with sharks. Sharks. I had that with sharks. Is we, that because of Jaws? Um, not so much. We went up to Queensland once and we were paddling and we were um, just sort of wading in this beautiful beach that had a very long, shallow part to it. And we're pretty sure that we saw a hammerhead shark. Now, I don't think hammerhead sharks are known for being particular man-eaters, but it was a fucking shark. So, And we were children. And so my eldest, second eldest sister said, okay, no one panic Let's just climb up on that boat over there. So we all climbed on some guy's yacht that was moored nearby. Was well, this a dream or did this no, actually this happen? No, this actually happened. This is Good. a real, yeah. real thing that happened. And so we've got these little children and my sister would have been a teenager and the guy who owns the boat was on the beach and he starts coming out, waiting out and yelling at us, oh, you meddling, you pesky kids, <laughs> <laughs> shaking a fist, get off my boat. And my sister's gone, just calm down, everyone. I'll handle this. And she turns towards the beach and she just calls out, I'm sorry, could you just tell us, is that a shark over there? <laughs> and you could see the guy stop for a second, cease yelling, and turn around and fuck off back to the beach. Oh, great. Good. And that, that and being dangled over a shark pool in SeaWorld, that probably did it as well. <laughs> I That's the other holiday my parents would have is we'd go to – uh, the Gold Coast, yeah. when, when they got a bit more money and flights were a bit cheaper on, on flights, set. We'd drive. To the Gold Coast. We would drive. Yeah. And we would go every year. But what I did find funny is every year we'd go for two weeks. My my brothers would go to Jupiter's Casino with my dad and okay. I'd stay at home with Nan and Mum and play Canasta. <laughs> and during the day, without fail, every year we'd go to SeaWorld. Every time. We'd do the same We'd watch the same shows with the dolphins, go on the same rides <laughs> every year, which I love. Like I'm, I loved it. I absolutely had a ball. But it's just funny how you go. Why didn't we try Dreamworld or <laughs> Waterworld or you know something else? We didn't even do theme parks. We would just drive to insert name of relative slash family friend and go and stay with them. We would spend a lot of time with one family who lived in Cootamundra where as a child I witnessed one of their dogs savage a toddler 
and um, there was just this sudden spray of a dog barking and one of the dogs was one of their chain dogs. The toddler had got a bit too close and the dog had just gone and gone Arr! at them and um, just tears, blood. He was okay. I was but it say, was is this toddler alive? Terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And then adults running out and going, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, but as a child, you know how you just sort of sit there and you witness these things yeah. and then you think, I'm perfectly fine as an adult. Nothing's wrong with me yeah. at all. So we would just go and visit people like that. I, I have a very strong memory of visiting one friend of my parents and we saw brolgas dancing on the drive there. That was really exciting. But when we got out at their house and they lived in a farm somewhere in the middle of, it could have been regional Victoria, regional New South Wales, they're my best bets. And it was the middle of a mosquito plague. Right. Yeah. So we got out of the car and the air is thick with insects and there's this Poor dog. This is a distressing story for animal lovers, by the way. This poor greyhound who was outside just covered in in insects that were engorged with blood and we just were running to the door going, we're going to get eaten alive. And the rest of that time was spent playing a walk in the black forest on, on vinyl. <laughs> and that's all that I can come up with and just these little moments of, what the fuck was going on mm. that have filled me with? <laughs> Mosquitoes frightened me as well because my cousin, <laughs> when she was young, fell asleep one night um, with mosquitoes in her room, in a camping, in, right. in the tent, and uh, woke up and she couldn't open her eyes because the mosquitoes had bites all across her eyelids and I'll never forget it. And that's why to this day if I hear a zzz, I'm like, I'm moving house. <laughs> it's out. It's over. I'm getting a hotel room immediately. This explains your nomadic lifestyle. A to- yeah. <laughs> Something annoys me. I'm going. I'm, just, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, because she couldn't open her eyes and it was mortifying. Like imagine waking up and you can't open your eyelids and you're going, what, what is going on? Like I can't, you know. That was so strange. And itchy. Oh, gosh. Awful. Awful. We had a cat. I begged for a cat when I was young. I'm allergic to them now. I actually brought antihistamines because I wasn't sure whether or not you had a cat. Because I get to a point, <laughs> I get to a point where if I'm in a house too long with somebody, I hug a friend who owns a cat, and if the cat's been on their jumper, half my face goes red. And I did like them back when I was four. And I and credit to my dad, I found out many many years later that he. Hates cats. I do now, but he always hated cats ever since, quote, one piddled in my bed when I was a kid. (laughs) So he obviously had hated them for his whole life and still let me get one. And Woodger was a great cat. The story behind Woodger was we've got seven kids in our family, the four older ones and the three little ones. The three little kids wanted to call the cat Woody because it climbs trees, not because we were particularly interested in filmmakers it climbs trees. And my older siblings wanted to call the cat quite an inspired name now that I'm an adult and can get what they were going for. They wanted to call it Roger the Cat and we couldn't agree. So we compromised and we called the cat Woodja, oh, which is pretty, yeah. that's good. And for the longest time, uh, my elder siblings, when we were playing up and weren't listening or doing what we were told, all they had to do was threaten to rename the cat Roger and we'd go, I'll be good, I'll be good, I'll, do it. I'll be all right. <laughs> and it was, a, it was an extraordinary animal but it captured everything. It was such a hunter and that's one reason I'm a bit off on cats now because we live in that kind of environment where... We can't just let cats out at night and just catching native animals and what have you. My dad used to say you'd have to put a cowbell around that cat's neck and it would still catch 
enormous birds, like mm. frigate bird size, just walking down the hallway with a bird that's one and a half oh, times the size of a the cat, present. still alive, squawking and flapping. It was a monster of a beast. And one day Woodger caught a, f- a frog and we caught the frog before it was it was killed. It was still alive and we put it outside and I was like, oh, no, stop that, stop that. And I came down um, in the middle of the night. I woke up and went down to get a, a glass of water and I walked around the corner into the lounge room and stepped on something a little leathery, oh dear. <laughs> a little strange, and immediately pulled my foot back in horror and in the gloom trying to work out what it was, <laughs> little little dead frog, tummy up, sort of splayed in a rather sweet mortuary kermit kind of a way. <laughs> and then I could just see Woodger sitting underneath a, a, a couch staring at my foot and staring at the frog going, don't you fuck this up, Geraldine. Don't you fuck this up for me. It was an absolutely wonderful beast. Oh, I'm not a cat person, to be honest. <laughs> the allergy I developed later and, uh, and now I just, yeah, I don't really do it. Dogs I, I love. Mm. Not quite over the whole squeezing the anal gland thing, but... Uh, <laughs> That's uh, enough about my private life. Yes, exactly. Transition. Probably one of the more formative film experiences of my childhood was watching Jesus Christ Superstar, where I think I might have told you this story on stage, when I didn't have an understanding of actors and what actors did in filmmaking. Mm. So whenever it got to the scene where where Carl Anderson, the late great Carl Anderson as Judas hung himself from the Joshua tree, I was completely flummoxed that he was alive again at the end of the film. (laughs) I can understand that. I've never understood it. (laughs) Just going, but he was, but how was he, how was he on the bus? How did he get on the bus? What's happening? Because that film was on every Easter in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, right. I didn't watch it. My first experience was was seeing Jesus Christ Superstar in the round with, the, you know, John Farnham, Kate Sobrano. Oh, I saw that. John Stevens. And I just thought that John Farnham was Jesus. <laughs> Isn't he though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Loved it. Oh, yeah, it was all right. It was all right. I don't know. I'm glad I, I'm glad I went. <laughs> no, I remember again. It was a great like I just remember. I'm so glad that my parents, my dad, took me to shows like that. My mum would take me to things like The Wizard of Oz. Like I was really, I, they really kind of obviously cottoned on early on that I was flamboyant mm. and an entertainer, mm. and would take me to lots of shows. I'm really grateful for that. I love Jesus Christ Superstar in the round. How did you not? Why did you not? It was great. And no, because I really loved the film soundtrack so much. Uh, of and course. the only person who different. Well, the only person who encapsulated it, I heard a rumour, I don't know if it's true, God knows how I would have heard this with any sort of authority behind it at that time in my life. But I heard that they were asked not to listen to the seventy three version or any of the earlier versions, but specifically the film. And the only person who did was John Stevens as Judas and he sang very like Carl Anderson did. Yeah, right. And I don't think anybody did that sung Judas as brilliantly as Carl Anderson did in the film. Um, and so he was the bit that I liked the most, but some of it was a bit too pop for me. But I'll I'll get to tell you a secret. I don't know if I'll let this get through the gate. <laughs> but oh. do you remember a show called Ridgy Didge? Yes. Thank you for doing the hand movement there with a puppet called Sean the Sheep. And they used to do a kind of a make-a-wish bit. Yeah. Well, 
I was in about grade six then, just moved to Melbourne, big smoke. Yeah. And I wrote in and said, I'd really like to, to attend a rehearsal of Cats. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely making it. This was my wish. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we got contacted by the television show. And they said, oh, look, we can't let you go to a rehearsal, but what we can do is we can have you go backstage. And I was like starstruck thinking, oh, yes, this is, this is amazing. Like this is the closest I'd been to show business since I sang Click Go the Shears with all the movements <laughs> in a 300-strong choir. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, yeah, that would be really good. So we spent all this time. We went out and we, we bought a special outfit. And I was kind of a large child. And um, this was the 80s, so I was wearing a very attractive blue and white horizontal striped uh, shirt with a popped collar and a nice belt and a hot pink skirt. And I went to get filmed and I tried to think of some very important questions that I could ask. (laughs) And we weren't interviewing any of the stars. We were interviewing, basically she was a principal dancer. Uh, and so she was sort of showing us around backstage and showing us her makeup desk and the things that she uses and 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 I sort of said, oh, so here's my intelligent, well-researched question. As a child, I was a child and just went, so what what is it that you use to get all that makeup off with? And she went, oh, good question. Well, we've got this product here and what it is, it's a kind of cream that we do this and the other and she named it. So the whole production crew's gone, no, wait, wait, Tracy, no, cut, cut, sorry can't name any brands in the filming of the show. And she went, oh, yeah, well, what am I supposed to say? Such and such name brand, blah, 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 blah. And they all had a bit of a laugh. And, of course, being a child, I felt like, oh, I've asked a stupid question and felt really like it ruined my experience. But as part of it, we got given tickets to go see the show. And I was at that time pretty obsessed with cats. How old were you? 35. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. No, I reckon I would have been, it was grade six, so I would have been 11, 10 or 11 years old. Yeah. Um, clumsy, overweight, really shouldn't have been wearing hot pink because I got red hair, kind of a kid, very, very shy. We went to see the show and it was it was still extraordinary. I think it might have been Debbie Byrne. As, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, she did it for a long time. Yeah, she? and she was extraordinary. And who, who would have thunk that years and years later I'd be sharing a microphone with her at the Spiegel mm. tent for the Paul Kelly cabaret gig and, you know, that sort of stuff I'm grateful for every day. So it was good but I was so traumatised by what I felt was being made fun of backstage at this Reggie Didge recording. I've never told this publicly, by the way, so if some asshole digs this shit up, I'm in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> or maybe it'll kickstart my career. Who knows? But when this principal dancer came out, not only did I get a better understanding of how low down the ladder she was <laughs> and that I needn't have been that worried about being what I felt was mocked or you know embarrassed by the situation, she had to do this moment where she got on, she did a, a leg extension above her head, so standing on one leg with the other leg up, and she was really struggling to hold her balance. And there's so much of me that was just going, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck you, puss in boots. I wonder if is this got something to do with your now not dislike of cats? <laughs> Maybe it contributed. Yeah. Do you know cats is coming to Melbourne? I know it's Delta Goodrum. Is it really? Delta Goodrum's playing Griselda. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, my God. How could you not know that? I've been in Vietnam. (laughs) 
Angelica Katz. <laughs> Transition. When did Tina start? She started in, I was about 20. I did a show at the Black Box at the Art Centre, mm. which is no longer the Black Box. Um, uh, it was called Extravaganza Beyond Burlesque was the name of the show. Okay. And it was basically, as Ian Pidd, who used to be involved with Fringe Festival, put it, it basically was just Wes dancing around in his bedroom. <laughs> that was the show. It was just me literally dancing around with heels on. And I wanted to do a show with characters and I, I created this character. I don't know, even know where the name Tina Del Twist came from, but uh, I put on a wig <laughs> and it was this woman. I just wanted to dress up, I think, is what it was then. Mm. And then that, as the years went on, I just gave her more and more traits, more characteristics, more of a context. And she just keeps developing over time as people do. So, you know, this now she plays with Stephen Weir, Twist, who's who's another character in the kind of dynamic, the duo that is Tina Del Twist. Stephen plays guitar and uh, he's, you know, now there's a bit of a relationship on stage between those two. He looks like Keith Richards. It's perfect. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's – so I think – there's and and sometimes I don't play with Stephen and then Tina goes somewhere different because again like she's I treat that character as a human and humans develop and change over time and as they get older and so does she mm. so I just keep trying to add a different layer to her each time I do it. I've found that more with my on stage self. It is that the minute I think the minute I started getting bigger costumes was when I started going, okay, it's you, but it's not you. Yeah. In a way that could divorce me from the emotion of it more. And now I can really play up elements of my personality that I'd actually quite like to change, but but that just go yeah, just up the ante on them a lot yeah. more for hopefully comedic effect, mm. so that that becomes part of the pastiche of the live Geraldine Quinn kind of a character, which still sometimes people think is true and you sort of go, I'm fine, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm really fine. I'm not a basket case. That's fine. I've got all my limbs. <laughs> but it's, it's funny when I used to perform a lot as myself, as Wiz, and uh, – I had I was I used to play an animated version of like I was the cabaret kind of man diva camp kind of not bitchy queen but like you know over the top divadom mm. that was my persona as Wes Snelling on stage mm-hmm. and then I just decided to give all those traits to Tina because right. I didn't want to be that person all the time yeah like I didn't want to present that if you're going to see a Wes Snelling thing that that's all you're going to see yeah and so I thought well I'll give all that to Tina she can be the diva. And it's been great because it's opened me up to then be able to do lots of different other shows that aren't defined. Like it doesn't have to be – I don't have to be this persona on stage. I can get up and sing a song, with a Bowie song with you and just be me yeah. doing it in a suit or whatever. Yeah. Um, or I can – yeah, I've, I'm, I've, it's opened up and given freedom to what I can do. I can be an actor. I can be a writer. I can be a producer. I don't have to be this personality. Yeah. And that was a very conscious decision. There's a reason Cats is Cats, you know what I mean? It actually is a great fun musical. Like I'm looking, I feel like if you had said to me five years ago, Cats is coming back, we're going to see Cats, I'd be like, um, no. (laughs) But I'm ready for it now. I really loved the poems. I I actually had the book of Old Possum's book of Practical Cats of course and, you did. and read it over and over again. And years before I was studying The Wasteland at, as an undergraduate literature student. But um, 
Yeah, I, I like to go to the source material. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the set was amazing. I mean, we went to Les Mis when Normie Rowe was in it. Mum took us to that. That was extraordinary with that huge set that rotated and, and came apart and then fit back together to make the barricades and and that was a really exciting thing. I like to try to take the kids to stuff when I get tickets. Yeah, totally. Because you just think, wow, when am I going to see this? Yeah. This is the magic. Yeah. Yeah, don't think what I do is the magic. What I do is get changed in cubicles. <laughs> I'll tell you a show that I went and saw when I was younger that I probably shouldn't have. Right. I remember catching the train Chippendales. to Melbourne. Close, <laughs> close. I was I was I caught the train to Melbourne uh, on you know a public holiday, and used to I met with a friend of mine Matt and we met in the city and we went into the, to Burke Street Mall and went to Half Ticks. Oh yeah. And we just looked down the thing. I was probably fifteen. Half Ticks was great. That half was, Ticks was great. You could go and get half price tickets on the day of the show. Totally. I, well, you still can, but yeah. Yeah, but it hasn't got. It used to have this booth in the mall and it was a bit of a thing. Yeah. And went in and there's a whiteboard of all the shows that you can pick and we just went, well, let's pick anything. Let's pick something. So we were second row back from the stage for a little play called Shirley Valentine. Right. Where she spends the second, basically most of the show, it's a one-woman show, most of the show nude on stage. Um, And it was... Quite odd because I <laughs> know oh I'm all for. I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say is I think it's amazing that that's that we that that's the show we picked. We knew nothing about it. We just went. But I'm just imagining what everyone around us would have thought <laughs> seeing these two 15 year old boys sitting there, obviously on their own, two rows for the front. <laughs> like they would have thought that we were going to check this woman out. <gasps> Who's who the actress? Um, she played Connie in like. Oh, she, and she played a role for years in Australia. She toured it. What is her name? Oh, my gosh. I love her. Australian um, actress? Australian actress. Uh, she played Connie in, in um, East Street or Richmond Hill or one of those shows. Um, I'm really out of my depth on this one, love. Wait. I've got to do the look up thing. I've got to now. All I can think of is Julie Forsyth. No. Nah. But um, but it was so I, – I remember being a little bit burnt by it. I kind of <laughs> walked out going maybe that wasn't the show that we should have gone to. Because I'd never seen anyone naked before, you know, and and to go along and see this this fifty, I reckon she probably would have been fifty year old woman naked on stage for sure. It was quite an insight <laughs> into the world um, <laughs> of Amanda Muggleton. Oh, Amanda Muggleton. Oh um, wow! And I, were, I actually was doing some stuff in Canberra once, and. Uh, was hooking up with Heath McIver, who mm-hmm. is Randy of Sammy Jane Randy fame, mm-hmm. amazing person, but was meeting up with him and he knew Amanda and Amanda was doing a show there at the time. And so I met Amanda <laughs> and then told her that story. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I'm not quite sure how to, she knew how to took it because I don't, I, I don't really have a judgment on the story. Like I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I'm not trying to say it's bad that I was there with a woman on stage that was nude. It was just an odd experience for a 15-year-old boy. Oh, That's there's so I'm many of those things in your teenage years that you just kind of go – it's like I was saying with kids when things happen in front of kids – and they just like the dog mauling. <laughs> you just kind of observe it because yeah. you can't do anything about it. You're yeah. a child. And the, similarly, when you get to that weird, awkward kind of teen stage, 
you're just still trying to experience stuff. And so you'll go, I'll pick this thing to experience. Yeah. Because that'll be a thing that will broaden my horizons in the world. And you've got no, there's nothing discerning about your choices. You just go, now I'm here and this is happening. Yeah. And I'm not sure what to do. And in a way that puts you in a good position because you're not going to have a bad reaction to it. You're just kind of going, I... I'm going to have to process this later, like maybe yeah. like 23 years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember when I was 17 going to see Barry Otto in Faust. I went, what? Oh my has God, I just saw that. Happened to me. <gasps> that was amazing. It was so amazing. I saw that production. I still don't understand it, but I understood it at the time. Like I knew, I didn't understand everything, but I, I kind of, I remember we had to do a, like a review and an essay on it. And I got a really good mark because I, I remember at the time I kind of was able to put some pieces together. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about it right now apart from I just remember Barry Otto was amazing and it was a lot of colour and movement. Yeah. Well, Barry Kosky was doing a lot of stuff then. So I was was seeing a lot of theatre with Kosky all over it, which meant that I got exposed to prosthetic cocks very early on. (laughs) What's Barry Kosky doing now? I think he might be in Europe. Still in Europe? I think he might be. Didn't he move into... Opera direction and um, yes. I'm not sure what he's doing now. I saw quite a few Bell Shakespeare Company question and answer sessions Yeah. Um, after that. Was it King Lear that was really particularly cock-riddled? I can't remember. Yeah, and that, and that had Deborah Mailman in Deborah it. Deborah Mailman was in it, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was King Lear, I saw that too. I saw Richard III, which had Rob Meldrum in it, who taught me Shakespeare when I was training at National Theatre. Um yeah, you kind of you go and see a load of theatre going, okay, I want to – I think this is a thing I want to do mm. and I don't really know what to pick. And in a weird way that meant that we got to see some people that are extraordinary. My sister got to see Hugo Weaving doing um, Romeo and Juliet with Bill Shakespeare, which I was very jealous about. That was pretty extraordinary because she just, you know, this is Hugo Weaving on stage. Yeah. Do you know who came to my school and performed in our school stadium? Jason Donovan. Rachel Griffiths. I was close. I was really close. Yeah. <laughs> she was part of the Woolly Jumpers and she came and did a show. Um, I, don't, I think it was about drugs. Oh, don't do drugs. And don't she do had drugs. hairy armpits. And I remember turning to my friend and going, she must be a lesbian. Oh, no. Yeah. Transition. I had that with Rebecca Barnard. Oh. I used to go and um, see her shows on. Um, Thursday nights at the Dan O'Connell, she'd do a show with Angie Hart mm-hmm. and I'd be up the front and once Rebecca Barnard signed undies for me and, <laughs> um, and I was obsessed. And then later down the track, somehow we became friends and did gigs together and sang on stage and it was like, I just can't believe. Yeah. Like you just have to pinch yourself going, wow, this yeah. is great. I'm oh, well, singing with one was, of my idols. She was always um, uh, on the big gig. She was uh, in the... Yes. One of the backing singers, oh, the not amazing singers. I mean, the big gig. That was, was a great, great show. Great television show, kids. If you look it up, I don't know. Well, I don't know if anybody's ever released anything from the big gig, but it was a great television show. Surely there must be some. Must be something. There's got to be available in some ABC store that's closing down somewhere. <laughs> Well, Angie Hart, like I did a um, a bit of telly with her a couple of weeks ago. That was fantastic. Oh, you, you got to thank um, the team at the Weekly for that. And Cal Casey, Wilson, Cal Wilson's idea, and um, and Casey Bonetto's songwriting, and 
Yeah, with tell Mar- us a little bit about it. Well, it was Miranda Tapsell and um, and Angie Hart and myself play, pretending to be a sort of nineteen uh, sixties girl Motown style group, a la the Sapphires. If you get the Miranda yeah, Tapsell yeah. being involved there, who's the sweetest thing on the earth? Um, and it was called. Uh, we were called the the Don't Rapettes, and the song was um, I think it was called I can't remember the name of the actual song, but the chorus was basically how about not raping uh, a message from women to men saying hey boys how about you stop telling us what to wear and uh, maybe stop raping sounds really serious but it was a hilarious huge wonderful production number with the message but I was in the um uh, I was in the corridors of ABC Studios which I was familiar with from my my time working at Spix as well. And I just had a moment where I went, Thangie Hart. Thangie Hart. Yeah. She's in Frente. And I was, I was, this was me vocalising this, by the way. It wasn't in my head. <laughs> no, I know you. I, <laughs> I was going, I'm just standing next to Angie Hart. She's from Frente. She's from Frente. And she's only like three years older than me, but she's from Frente. And I used to listen to her in high school. <laughs> I have, I've had a resurgence of, of Frente recently with Clunk, their first EP. Oh, yeah. One of their first EP, sorry. And, um, and Ordinary Angels, one of the best. Australian songs. It is a terrific Such song. Such a good song. Yeah. Um, and Labour of Love. That's another good Frente song. It is. Uh, and I just, yeah, I, they were, well, they offered something at that time that was just a bit different to all the other crap that was around. Yeah, that's right. I got into a bit of an argument with someone about um, them dismissing all of the 90s as <clears throat> a black hole of music. Who? Oh, it doesn't matter. And oh, the person you were talking to. The person I was talking to, it doesn't matter. And I just and I said, how dare you? How very dare you? Because it just dismisses so many different styles of music. But there was that feeling of uh, a lot of the indie stuff uh, that was coming out that felt like a real alternative. Like you still had to try to find albums by Blur or whoever else. You had mm. to dig to find these things. And Frente, you're right, was just sort of one of those bands that you went, oh, where did that come from? And they were odd and weird. Yeah. And it was really cool. It was like you're, you're odd and weird and we're celebrating that. We're allowed to be odd and weird? Yeah. I think that's why I got so worked up about that statement of, oh, 90s black hole music because I felt like, yeah, I was a teenager then and therefore that music's going to be important to me. That's just the way our brains work. But also I was finding a world that was supporting the oddness and weirdness that I felt. Yeah, and there were so many different options. Yeah. You know, like you had the grunge. Oh, I never. No, I was never big into that. But we. I went to a school that was very R and B. It was very, you know, kind of that influence. And we were. Like who? I didn't listen to it. <laughs> you know, not boys to men. Whitney? That was afterwards. No, not Whitney. No, just really kind of, kind of. Um, I don't know. Who else is that? Color me bad. Oh, Soul to Soul and stuff like that. Like, it oh, was yeah. good stuff and everything, but it was very, very r Nina Cherry. Well, Nina Cherry's great, though, you know. I can't think of any examples that I wouldn't be proud to say. Yeah, they've, they've oh, written I'll stop, themselves. I'll stop pushing. Stop probing me. Um, <clears throat> but then we were getting Pixies and Beastie Boys and getting into The Smiths and The, the Cure retrospectively and, and then, of course, the whole Britpop thing sort of exploded. So we felt a bit like we had, particularly out in Dandenong, in the outer southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, we were we were the weird kids. You know, we we got fights picked with us because we had long skirts and long socks and sixties influence, and were interested in in much more British kind of pop music. And it was a formative experience to be uh, targeted for the sort of music that you liked because it wasn't the majority of people. Mm. 
And that's why I think I got very passionate about that statement because that's a very important part of your teenage years is sort of finding your tribe and finding the people that mm. listen to the same stuff as you and like the same stuff as you when you feel like you're an outsider. And for someone to then just att- attack you because of what your hair looked like and what you listened to because it wasn't the same as them yeah, was very, very odd and violent. I'm okay now. Yeah. <laughs> but are you? No. But actually are you, Jordan? I'm a basket case. Yeah. <laughs> Transition I've got to go to the toilet That should be a good place to send you to wind it up, I reckon (laughs) Well, I don't want to do it here I'd like to go into some kind of vessel to do it (laughs) We mustn't talk about urine every single podcast I think it's a theme it's the P-Cast again. Oh, dear. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for having me in your in your charming house. It's blessed. It's nice to be visited. It's <laughs> <laughs> nice to have a visitor. I live alone. I know. I'm the same. You must come over and visit me one day. It's a long way away, though. Yeah. you live, Don't you live in Noble Park? No, I don't live in friggin' Noble Park. <laughs> I live about the same distance from the city as you, but in the other direction. Yeah, I will. I'll come visit. Do you drive? I do drive. I don't have a car, but I do drive. Oh, well, that's a bit of a you know, spanner in the works there. I'll be getting a car. If I'm going to get a new bike. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> no, I was, th- I was I, ever since I, I was in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. And oh, wait, did you go to Vietnam? I went to Vietnam. And I was riding a bike every day and I loved it, so it made me go. I actually own a bike, but it's a mountain bike and I don't want to ride a mountain bike. I want a bike with a basket. Oh. <laughs> I want a bike. I want a lady's bike with a basket. That's what I want. I think my bike has been consigned to being a corpse of a bike now. I've left it outside for so long. Get a new one. I think it's time to get rid of it. I'm going to get streamers on mine too. How the hell do you get rid of a bike? And spooky dokes. You need spooky Spooky dokes. dokes. I absolutely need spooky dokes. Can you get skull spooky dokes? You weird person, (laughs) Geraldine Quinn. I'm sure you can. Mouse skull. I think there is a bike heaven. I think there is someone that could, somewhere you could take a bike to have it recycled because there'd be, there's probably nothing wrong with it. Yeah, the, uh, it's a bit of rust, but the frame's fine. But there'd be stuff that could be used. There'd be a bike heaven. Maybe I should take it to the bike place and say, can you can you revitalise my bike, revivify it? Can I have a zombie bike, please? Yeah. Thank you very much, Wes Snelling. No worries, GQ. I'll talk to you soon. But- Bye. Well, cats and kittens, I'm sure you agree that even for somebody who has a self-confessed fear of cows, Mr. Wes Snelling is certainly an A1 gent. Next episode of Bang on the Strillers, I will be talking to Michael Dalton, also known by his alter ego of Dolly Diamond. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. Just the nice ones with taste. You know, not the other ones. The ones that you'd rather avoid at the impending Christmas. But also, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes and and give us a positive rating. (laughs) Okay? Please. It helps. Do you know who came to perform at our school in an African, West African music group? Mel Webb. Who's Mel Webb? Don't know who Mel Webb is? You you haven't crossed paths with the great Mel Webb? He's done a lot of stuff with Casey. Mel Webb. Okay, I thought you knew him, so we might cut Cut that that bit out. out.